Welcome to Cross Communities Podcast. We're glad you're here to listen today. We hope that today's message will strengthen your faith and help you to love God and people more. We're in this series, When Life Gives You Lemons, and, uh, and it's an interesting series for this time, amen? I mean, this is just a, a crazy time, and it seems like the lemons just keep coming. And so, uh, here we go. I want you to turn to the book of Jacob. Jacob chapter 1, we'll begin at verse 2 and go through verse 8. There's no book of Jacob? Oh, well, let me explain something. Did you know that Jacob is uh, the word Yaakov in Hebrew? Everybody say Yaakov. It's been a few weeks, so I got to give you, I got to catch up on your words. Now, in Greek, the word Jacob or Yaakov is Yakobos. Say that with me. One, two, three. Yakobos. As it moved from Greek into Old Latin, uh, a couple of things got changed around, and it got turned into Yamas. You want to say Yamas with me? And then, of course, what do you think it became when it moved to English? James, all right. But see, Jesus had a half-brother named Jacob. And so you'll hear me refer to him as James or Jacob throughout the sermon. But turn to the book of James, or now that you know, Jacob, chapter 1, beginning at verse 2. As we begin to go through this. Now, why did I, why did I go through this whole thing? Why is it important that we got back to Jacob? This is not just me being random. Because today, before we read this passage, you're going to hear that Jacob or James talks about doubt in a negative way. And Pastor Kyle preached on doubt last week and that there should be room for that question and God is comfortable with that and we need to be honest and bring those things to it and I don't want you to think I'm up here trying to correct something that Pastor Kyle said last week what I want you to know is that as James Jacob talks about this he uses different words for doubt than what we talked about in unbelief with Pastor Kyle in Mark chapter 9 So hang in there and make sure that you you listen in as we begin to look at what James or Jacob has to say to us. So turn now to whichever you feel more comfortable with, Jacob or James. Uh, Chapter 1, beginning at verse 2. Hear the word of the Lord. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask of God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to them. But when they ask, they must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That one should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. They are a double-minded person, 
unstable in all that they do. This is the Word of God for the people of God, and our response is, thanks be to God. When life hands you difficulties, when God hand, when life hands you lemons, this week's lemons is when God hands you difficulties. How appropriate with all that is happening in our world today, with pandemics, with politics and pundits, with paranoia, with prejudice, the incredible amount of difficulties that are coming through. It's going to take a lot more than just water and sugar to tame these super lemons. And so we want to know that Jacob or James understood this all too well. I want to let you know a little bit about who James was or who Jacob was. He was the half-brother of Jesus, as I've already said, and he became the leader of the church in Jerusalem once Peter began his missionary journeys and began to move outside. He stayed, and he was a pillar of the community. He was the leader, and Jerusalem endured some great difficulties. Some super lemons came that way towards that church in Jerusalem. There was a famine, and that led to great poverty in Jerusalem. And the church that was committed to working among the poor felt that immensely. The church was also involved in squabbles because the church that was made up mostly of Messianic Jews, Jews who believed that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, they were being persecuted by traditional Jews or those that were in the synagogue. There was this tension that they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And there began to be squabbling and factions and all kinds of fighting. In fact, it eventually led to the synagogue, the traditional Jews, pushing the church, the Messianic Jews, out. They had to do their own thing. They began to meet in homes instead of in the synagogue. Yet in all of this, Jacob, or James, was known as a pillar of the faith. And he was a peacemaker as a leader. He did some incredible things that helped him. If you want to read more about the things that James did, you can read through the gospel or the book of Acts and you'll see the Jerusalem council. He was there. He was a leader in and among that in bringing peace. How do we do this now that Jews and Gentiles are one in Messiah Jesus? How do we do this? Now, his book, although it is included in what we call the letters, the New Testament letters, and although it was distributed much like a letter, it actually reads a lot like wisdom literature. It reads like the book of Proverbs. There are all these little sayings and stuff. Some New Testament scholars will, will call it the New Testament book of Proverbs. It is a wisdom book. There's tradition where James or Jacob takes the wisdom of Jesus' teachings The Sermon on the Mount, which I'm sure he heard more than the two times that are recorded in the gospel. He was, he took that teaching and the ways that Jesus interpreted the Torah, the Jewish Bible, and he wrote it down into proverb-like statements that would help churches all the way around the Mediterranean. And that's how it came to be in our Bible today. After the introduction of James, where he says how he's writing, his first bit of wisdom is for difficult times, when life hands you those lemons. And he says, I want you to do something in this time, whenever you see this. These were times that he was experiencing probably as he was writing, and that we are now experiencing in our day and age. So, 
he gets started. So let's look at what he says in this wisdom of James or Jacob. It begins with a shock to the system. It's almost like cold water, uh, you know, getting in the shower and finding that the hot water just wasn't there. It just shocks the system. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy, James? What do you mean? Trials? I don't like trials. Do you like trials? I don't. But James says we should consider it pure joy. Now, this is worse than you think, really, honestly. Because the phrase there in Greek is pasan keran hegasaste. I know I'm not going to make you say the whole thing, but we'll break it down. Are you ready? Let's go. The first word is the word pasan. Say that with me. One, two, three. It's a pretty simple word. It's, it means all or the collective whole. Then we'll take the word Quran. Ready? Not, uh, not Quran. Quran. All right. Ready? One, two, three. Quran simply means joy. We're going to explain that a little more in a second. And then lastly, and I want to focus a little bit on this, is, is a fun word to say. Hegasaste. Ready? One, two, three. Hegasaste. Now, because we're focusing here, I want you to say this word again. Ready? One, two, three. Hegasaste. Now, in our Bibles, in English, the one I read today, it says, consider it. Now, consider, I don't know, to me, maybe to you, it, it seems like just a mental exercise. Oh, I'm considering going to Chick-fil-A after church. Well, no, you're not, you can't go to Chick-fil-A after church. I'm considering going to Wendy's. You know, it's just something I'm, I'm thinking about, I'm pondering but the, the word here for hegasaste, it actually has the connotation of leading, taking authority, or governing. That's what it means to hegasaste something, that you are leading something, that you are taking authority, that there is governing that is going on right here. Now, beyond that, it, I, I knew you weren't looking for a Greek lesson this morning, but you've been with me for almost 12 years now. You know we're going there, right? So it is, it is in grammar, it is an aorist indicative middle. Aren't you blessed? I saw, I see that hand. Yes. Uh, the aorist indicative middle. The aorist indicative in this grammar, it draws our attention to the simple act. Leading, governing, taking charge, being a part of that. It focuses our attention on, it's just a simple act. Leading. It's the middle voice though that I want you to hear something about. Because this is a voice that we don't have in our English language. The middle voice takes the subject. You know, we have subject, object, direct object, right? My mom's an English teacher. We have these. This voice, the middle voice, takes the subject and it's seen as acting for its own benefit. Take that again. Middle voice, the subject is seen as acting for its own benefit. In other words, what James is saying is you can take authority and it's for your own good. It's for your own benefit to lead all things into joy. Let me say that again. You can take authority and it's for your benefit. It's for your own good to lead all things into joy. There's something about joy and what James is calling us to is that you are given a choice for 
joy. So we probably ought to talk about joy for just a second. That word, karan. What does this mean? Now, this word, you'd be surprised, is very difficult to get nailed to the ground. And so I want to share some things that joy is not. Joy is not a drummed up, hyped up version of, don't worry, be happy. That's not joy. That's carelessness. It is not, everything is terrible, but I'm just going to put on a happy face. So glad to see you this morning. Isn't everything good? Uh, you know, we'll just pretend there's not a pandemic. You know, all these things. That is not what joy is about. But scholars wrestle around with joy. And so I want you to hear a few that I thought really hit on this biblical understanding of joy. What is joy? Miroslav Volf, who was one of my professors uh, at Fuller Theological Seminary, says, Joy is an intense, positive feeling about something that is actually happening to us. Joy is an intense, positive feeling about something that is actually happening to us. It means that it, it can be spontaneous, but here's the key. It is never escapist. It grounds us in the present, in this moment. Joy is not about getting away from my problems and trials. It's about in the midst of something I experience, in the present moment, I am here. And I'm experiencing this intense positive feeling about whatever this is, what is going on in this moment. Another one, this is Dr. Willie Jennings. He's the head of the Yale Theological Department. He was at Duke Divinity School for a long time. Um, he says... Joy is an act of resistance against despair and all its forces. Take that for a second. Joy is an act of resistance against despair and all of its forces. And in that regard, it is a work that can become a state that can become a way of life. That's a good definition. I like that one. It is an act of resistance. That's that, that taking authority, taking governing, bringing all things to joy, choosing joy. It's an act of resistance against despair and all of its forces. And it can become a way of life. He's saying that sometimes joy is intentional. It can be spontaneous, but sometimes it is intentional. Now, I found this. This is a, uh, I don't think a Christian psychologist. This is Dr. Robert Emmons. And he is at University of California, Davis. He says joy is about connection. Now he says it's about connection with what is transcendent. Uh, that's probably his good psychology speak. Joy is about connection. Connection with what is transcendent in the moment. So he kind of borrows some from both of the previous ones. But I want to challenge him because we're not just looking at what is joy. We're looking at what is Christian joy. What is Christian joy? What is joy that is connected to Christ? I agree with him. It is about a connection. But it is about a connection with Jesus Christ in the moment. Any moment. And that includes, according to James, trials of every kind. That even in the worst of circumstances, whatever you are facing, those of you who are here and those of you who are online, Whatever you are facing, 
Jesus can meet you in that moment. And because joy is about a connection, there can be joy even in the midst of trials of every kind. Hallelujah. That's worth celebrating for a moment. Sometimes, yes, we have to see it as an act of resistance, take charge that is given to us, and choose to move in the direction of joy. But we can always be assured that Christian joy is because Jesus is in the midst of every trial and every situation in the present with us. Amen. So, how do we cultivate joy? How do, how do we begin to move things towards joy if we're not there right now or if we're in the midst of great trials? Some of you, I've, I've included some of the broader categories that are going on in the world, but I know that some of you are in great trials right now that maybe nobody knows about or maybe only some that are very close to you know about. How do we cultivate joy? How do we take that authority and move towards joy? Now, sometimes, of course, it's spontaneous. That was one of our definitions. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, right? And it's the second one listed. The fruit of the Spirit are what? What's before it? And then what? Joy. So sometimes it is just something that the Spirit gives to the one who is in a trial. And you don't know why you're experiencing it, but you just know in the midst of this trial, Jesus is with me. And somehow I just experienced this incredible positive feeling. Of joy. It does happen that way sometimes. But James doesn't seem to be talking about that kind. That's more Paul. James is saying to communities who are experiencing trials of every kind, he's saying, we need to be intentional about this. So what do we do? What did they do? What do we do? Well, let's, let's move on and we'll begin to see. The first thing, the first thing that we can do to cultivate joy is to admit. The first thing we need to admit is that this is hard. It's okay to admit that this is hard. He calls it, I mean, James himself calls it trials of every kind. That's, he doesn't say, you know, ice cream of every kind. It's trials of every kind. And trials are difficult. Trials are, are hard. They're things we don't want to go through. But James says, even in those things, we can experience joy. We can do something to cultivate joy. So we can admit that it is hard, that it is difficult. A trial means a test, a hardship, a difficulty, a loss, a suffering. It's okay to call it for what it is. Admit that this is tough. Christianity is not escapist. It is not about just denying everything and and just put on a happy face. It's about being real. If you don't believe me, go and read the Psalms. One third of the Psalms begin in ways like this. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever, Lord? How long will I have pain and tears and suffering? It's okay to call it for what it is. And to bring that to the one who is with you in the midst of that. We must admit, I used to see this time and time again in counseling in those first couple of sessions when I would be sitting with a client and they would be talking about what is happening, what brought them into counseling. Ice cream has never brought anybody into my counseling room. And they describe that incredibly difficult situation, whatever it is. 
And I'm telling you, almost every time when I look them dead in the eyes and simply say, that is so hard. Wow, what a difficult situation you are living through. If you could just be there to see the body language as the shoulders just seem to loosen up. Because I've called it for what it is. It is okay. James says right there in the beginning, admit that it is difficult. It's okay. It's okay to do that. We start with a trial. We name it. Number two is that we are called to ask. We're called to ask. This is a way that you can cultivate joy. And there are a couple of things that we are called to ask. The first thing that we can ask is, what is this trial maturing in me. He writes in verse one, uh, or um, chapter one, verses three and four, because you know, I want you to know that that word know, it seems like it's something I already have. But technically, if we were to translate that right from the Greek, it would say, because you have learned. In other words, He knows they've already been through trials. He knows that they've experienced Jesus in the midst of those trials. They have already learned this is active. Because you have learned that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. We don't mature. I I, I want to break this to you. We as human beings, we do not mature without experience. We just don't. We don't learn without making mistakes. Can I get an amen from the teachers? I mean, I I guarantee you've probably never had one kid come into your class and just ace everything. Made a mistake. They correct it. Show them how to do it. They get that experience. They mature. We don't learn without testing. Every now and then, it's good to see what that knowledge, that mistake-making and correction, how it's moving, how it's developing, what is maturing and growing in you. And we don't grow without resistance. I can do this all day long. I will not build bigger, bigger biceps. It's only when I add 15, well, who am I kidding, 10 pounds of resistance and begin to resist that things begin to grow. I, I don't know why it is like it, like it, like this way. I don't know why God created it this way. I'm just telling you that's the way it is. That it's true. That we don't grow without resistance. We don't mature without experience. We don't learn without mistakes and tests. So maybe before we throw in the towel when a trial, any kind of trial comes our way, maybe we should ask, is there a part of my faithful living, my devotion to Christ that needs to mature? And this trial is going to bring that about, is going to grow some of that in me. Is there a part of of my journey with Christ that needs to grow deeper? And for some reason... This trial is going to bring me to that. God is going to lead me to that. So we ask that. Second, we ask for wisdom from God. James goes on and says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you all. This may be one of the biggest faith-growing things that you could come into contact with 
to dare to ask God for wisdom and believe that God gives it to anyone who asks generously, Jacob James says, and without finding fault. Anyone, that includes you. That includes you. That includes you. That includes you online. That includes me. That God is willing to give to me when I ask for wisdom generously, more than I need, and without fault. Now, are you ready for this tongue twister? Are you ready? I want to make sure I can actually read it. It is the Greek word honendidzontos. We'll, we'll break it down. Ready? Hone. Dids. Ontos. Hone did Zontos. See, it just rolls off the tongue. Hone did Zontos. No reproach or criticizing. No reproach or criticizing. When we ask God for wisdom in the midst of, a, of whatever we are going through, James wants everybody who reads that letter That when we finally come to the end of ourselves and we say, God, I need your wisdom. I need your help. I don't know what to do in this situation. I just need wisdom. James wants us to to assure us that God looks at you, whoever you are, and is willing to give it to you. And there's no criticism. There's no, well, it's about time you came to your senses. There's none of that. It is... Here it is. It's taking us all the way back into the Garden of Eden, where God longed for human beings to learn wisdom from His hand. And so He wants that relationship to go. And so when we ask for wisdom from God's hand, God gives more than we need. And He does it without criticism. Without looking down on us. He's just, I want you to have what you need to have. That, that's an important thing to cling to in times of trial. I want to give you an example of this. Um, as I grew older, I didn't know about this when it actually happened, but as I grew older and I was moving into pastoral ministry and my dad was a pastor and we would share stories and those kinds of things. And my dad came to one church and there was, there was a very difficult situation. He had two leaders within his congregation who were married to other people who were involved with each other. I'm saying that as vaguely as possible. And he knew that and sensed that, although they denied that and, and kept that and kept operating as if nothing was going on. What could he do? These were leaders. He was fairly new to this congregation. This was going to be a bombshell that was dropped. He was probably asking himself, did I make mistake in coming here? Why did I choose to be at this place? But he began to take James at his word. And he began to say, to go for three days to pray to God for wisdom and took time to fast, to to let go of some other things, just asking God for wisdom. And when he felt like God had given him what he needed, he wrote the letter, he gave it to the leaders that basically said, you need to step down from leadership and one of them was employed, so you need to, you can't work here. 
And uh, you know what they did? Well, they sued him (laughs) for defamation of character. Another trial coming his way. (laughs) So, of course, they took it to an attorney, and the attorney looked at what Dad had written, what he felt God was telling him to write. And he looked at that letter, and he said, how did you know how to write this? If you had written this any other way, every judge in, in, in the state would, would give them what they want. But you wrote this exactly perfectly. There is no case. They have no case here. And in fact, the case was gone. And my dad looked at the attorney and said, I asked God for wisdom. I don't think he used the words of James, but they're very appropriate. Who gives generously without finding fault. We have only to ask. Well, we've admitted that it's tough. We've asked, is this maturing me? Can I have wisdom in the midst of this? The third thing then is to advance. And to advance into the unknown with Jesus, the one you do know. And the one who knows you. Let's say that again. After we admit that this is hard, after we ask, is this maturing something in me? Uh, is this, do I need wisdom for this situation? The last thing, we advance into the unknown. But with Jesus, who we do know and who knows us. Verses 5 through 8. And here we get to our doubting part. If any of you lack wisdom, they should ask of God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when they ask, they must believe and do not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. They are double-minded and unstable in all that they do. This is where we get to doubt. And he begins with that word, should ask with faith. In faith, en piste. You want to say that with me, right? Ready? One, two, three. En piste. With faith. This is the same word that Pastor Kyle used last week when the the man who was talking to Jesus said, I pistuo, I believe. And he finishes his statement by saying, Help my ah pistuo. Help my unbelief. I believe. That's the same word with James, but James uses a different word. He doesn't use apestuo to talk about doubt. He uses the word, another tongue twister, are you ready? Diakrenomenos. Diakrenomenos. We'll say this together. We'll break it down. Ready? Dia, Crino. Menos. Say it all together. Ready? One, two, three. Diakrenomenos. I want you to see this. I want you to see what this means here. It comes from two words. Dia, or or crino, which means to judge, to distinguish, to discriminate. And dia means thoroughly back and forth, which intensifies the judging and the discriminating between the two. That's probably why he used the metaphor of waves, back and forth. Because this word, diokrenomenos, has this understanding of Thoroughly looking at things back and forth, judging them, critiquing them, discriminating against them. That back and forth, if you've ever been there, it creates a tension that can be paralyzing. Have you ever been there? 
You're just in the midst of that situation and circumstances present themselves and it just seems like you're looking back and forth until you're just kind of frozen and you don't know what to do. That's diakrinomenos. It's that intense back and forth. And Paul says, or James says, we are called to believe, to pursue, to be faithful in the midst of this. And not going back and forth. We are going to God for wisdom. Not to God and this one and that one and this circumstance and this. No, we're solely intent in our purpose in pursuing wisdom that comes from God. Not from the back and forth, back and forth, which paralyzes us. And I know verse 7 sounds so harsh that they shouldn't even expect anything from God. But I honestly think that what James is talking about is he's describing what happens when you are back and forth and paralyzed. It doesn't feel like you receive anything from God. It's descriptive in what James is saying, not prescriptive. God gives wisdom generously to all who ask and doesn't criticize. He's just said, said that. But if we go back and forth on whether we're going to use the wisdom that God gives or this wisdom or that wisdom or how the world works or how my job should work or what I think is best, then we will get stuck and paralyzed and it will feel like we have received nothing. Because you'll just be stuck with that giant lemon and no water or sugar in sight. Do you catch the feeling of what James is getting at right here as he's, he's doing this? It would be like saying, I'm going to climb Mount Everest. And I'm going to take along all the things that I need. And I'm going to bring a, a Sherpa along with me who's made this climb many times. And when I get up to a fork in the road, I'm not going to listen to what he has to say. I'm just going to sit down and go through in my mind, which way do I go? Which way do I go? Which way do I go? You'll stay up there till you freeze. You have a Sherpa with you. He knows what road you should take. Ask him. And then follow. Advance with him. We have someone so much more knowledgeable than a Sherpa. We have Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who is with us in every trial and invites us to recognize him in every trial. And because he is in every trial with us, We can experience joy, even in the midst of pandemics, even in the midst of all the political and pundit things that are going on, even in the midst of the paranoia. Jesus is present, church, and we are called to intentionally lead to joy. Lead that into joy. That's hard. That is so hard. He finishes what seems like such a downer. He says, if, if you just keep doing this back and forth, he says, you actually become disukse. Are you ready for this? Disukse. Say that with me. One, two, three. Disukse. You, you've really tolerated a lot of Greek words today, so my apologies. I'll, I'll add three fewer next week. Disukse. Die, or that did at the beginning, is two. Suxe is the word for life. It is that, the word for psyche. It is that life force, that thing that God gives to every human being. And when we go back and forth, when we are diacrinomenos back and forth and we are paralyzed, we actually almost get ripped in two because we're trying to draw life from two different sources. I want what God has for me, but I want what I want for me. And when we begin to do that, we are split in two. 
and we don't receive what we need, we have to hold on to one. The one who gave His all for us. Yet if we advance with Jesus, the one we know and trust, we will be led through the trial, into maturity, gain everything we need, particularly joy, even in every trial. Remember, joy comes in connection with Jesus, not in the change of our circumstances. That's important. We are called to recognize His presence in every, every way. I want you to know this, this message hit, hit me hard. I, I know I've studied the Bible a lot and I've spent a lot of time doing this, but I want you to know that your pastor, I've experienced trials of all kinds this year. Week to week, just trying to figure out how we're going to do church. And sometimes I have not been good. I have diakrinomenos. I have been back. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Until I remember the God who gives generously the wisdom that is needed. And every week, oh, we may have had some glitches here and there, but here we are together in this moment, and He is with us. So what is your trial today? People online, what is your trial today? Are you ready to admit it? To just acknowledge that it's difficult? It might be helpful for you to just take out a sheet of paper and write down the trials that you are going on. And at the end of it, however you sum it up, say, this is difficult. You can, you can be more bold. I don't like this. I wish it didn't have to be this way. It's okay. Be real and honest. Because the person you're being real and honest with is not just yourself. It is the one who is with you in the midst of the trial. It is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Are you ready to ask? You ready to go that next step further and saying, what is Jesus trying to mature in me? What part of my faith journey needs to grow? Might be good to spend some time journaling about that this week. Do you need to ask for wisdom? Is today in the time of prayer where you just need to say, God, I don't know what to do. To dare to believe that God is the God who just gives generously and He's not going to critique you. He's just going to give you what you need. Or today, do you need to advance? God has placed something on your heart and your life and it doesn't make sense to you, but you're going to trust Him and you're going to take those steps forward. To move on into the unknown because you know you're going with someone who knows you and loves you best. What is Jesus calling you into? I don't know the particulars of your situations all around the world. But I do know that if you advance with Him, He will lead you to joy. And you may just find yourself singing. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, 
Thou hast taught me to say, It is well, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are with us in every trial. We thank you that we can be real with you and just admit the difficulties, knowing that you've been through many of the difficulties that we are experiencing right now. In fact, you went all the way to a cross and died. Our creeds tell us you you descended even into hell, so there's no place where the hell of our trial cannot find you there. So help us to move into asking, to be curious about what you're trying to mature in our faith. To ask for wisdom, trusting that you're willing to give it without criticism. Just give us what we need. For many of us, we need help to advance, to to trust you and to do the things you're calling us to. Forgive us, God, when we have been so paralyzed with all the decisions back and forth and which one we think is best. Help us to trust you, the author of life. I pray that you would help us as a church together to be a group of people who are determined to choose to govern, to move all tests and trials towards joy, into joy, because you are with us. I pray for my brothers and sisters in all their trials, whatever they are going through individually around the world, may they trust you today. Choose to move into joy, to resist despair in all of its forces. May it become a mindset, a state, and a way of life for them. May they experience that wonderful fruit of the Spirit that we call joy. For we pray and ask all of these things in the name of the One who is with us in every trial. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord and Savior, and all God's people in the trial said, Amen. 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 Would you stand and receive this blessing, and you online as well? My brothers and sisters, may you do what you need to do in this week to move intentionally towards joy. I pray that you would admit the difficulties to the one who understands. I pray that you would ask for maturity. I pray that you would ask for wisdom. I pray you would experience the God who gives generously without fault. I 
I pray that you would advance into what He is calling you to and find Jesus in the midst of the trial. And may joy fill your hearts. I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you for tuning in to Cross Communities Podcast. We hope you will join us next week.